You're listening to a resource from Alpine Bible Church. Alpine Bible Church exists to know Christ Jesus together and to make Him known. We are located in Sugar Creek, Ohio. For more information, visit our website at alpinebible.org. May Jesus be glorified in your life. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 2. Praise the Lord that she's okay. Let's go ahead and read chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 1 through 7. The Lord's word says this, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in paradise of God. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning thankful thankful that everything is okay Lord we come to you thankful for your grace and your mercy that you have poured out on us on those who are yours Father we come this morning thankful for yet another day a day that you have ultimately given us to glorify you to glorify you in all that we do. A day that you have given us to love you because you love us. Father, we thank you that we are able this morning to gather under your word, that we are able to to have your word. Lord, I pray now that as there are a lot of things that is on our minds and things that are going on in the world around us. Lord, I pray that now, you right now, help us to focus. Help us to concentrate on your word. To worship you in the studying of your word. Father, thank you again for this opportunity to be together as a church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Good morning. I just want to start off by there as many of you guys that were praying for my for my family in the last few weeks. Uh, I won't get into all the details again, but um, the loss of my cousin. Um, and I just want to share with you because I know many of you have been praying and have been asking me uh, what has been going on. Um, so this last week, uh, this, there was a service on Thursday. And on the service on Thursday, I shared with you guys a little bit about family drama and, and, and different things going on uh, throughout the years. Well, anyway, uh, the Lord was gracious. Uh, th- there was a sermon that was preached. The gospel was presented at the service. And what is so amazing is that my aunt came to know the Lord and received him as, his, as her Lord and Savior. And if, again, if you know the full background of that, that is amazing to see what the Lord can do. I'm an emotional person, so hang with me. But it's just so glorious to see that the Lord is still reigning, that he's alive, the gospel is still true, and he's calling people to himself. Amen? So let me ask you this as we lead into the message this morning. Do you remember that moment when you reached Christ, when you received Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you remember that moment when he called on him to save you? Do you remember that initial fire and desire that you had when you first received salvation? That joy that came along with it? The passion that was sparked in you for others to know about this overwhelming sense of joy that you now had? Do you remember this? That moment that you just understood the gospel and it brought you to your knees to cry out for his forgiveness, to cry out for his salvation. For him to save you. Where you confess with your mouth your sin and you called on him through repentance to save you. Do you remember when your salvation went way beyond some kind of emotional decision or some kind of emotional knowledge of stuff and, and the selfish reasoning and has actually come to know truly who Jesus Christ was and that he is Lord and Savior and he reigns? Do you remember that moment? When you, truly, when you have truly seen Him as Lord. Not just as some kind of get out of hell free card. But truly have received Him as Lord of your life. When everything you did was because of the Lord. Do you remember that? When everything you did, everything you talked about, everything was about the Lord. What a sweet moment. And I'm truly asking you to reflect on that, to remember that if you don't, to remind yourself of that moment, that moment that you have went from darkness to light. Such a sweet moment, and it never gets old to hear when people come to know Christ, does it? It's amazing. It's so powerful, because you know through their salvation that they will be in glory one day. Praise Lord. That no matter what happens on this side of glory, That we have a king, a father that loves us, who has sent his son to die for us, who bore our sin on that cross, was buried, but rose again, and is seated at the right hand of the father. Isn't that so glorious? It's so precious. That sweet moment when we were raised to walk in the newness of life, that we were brought from darkness to light. That we became a new creation. That we are no longer ones who are going to walk in the flesh, but that we are ones who are going to walk in the Spirit. 
when we became alive in Christ, because we are a new creation. It seems like we start then this new life with zeal. If you're like me, you start this new life with zeal and passion for the Lord. And this desire to put death, put to sin, put sin to death. Two weeks in a row I've stumbled on that. But to put sin to death and pursue holiness. If this is something that you have not experienced, man, I ask you why? Especially if you profess Christ. Because this is what happens. It's impossible for this not to happen, isn't it? To become alive in Christ, to be a new creation, the Spirit now indwells us. Our life changes because of the gospel. But then here's the reality as time sets in. Many then face the temptation of lukewarmness where the Christian life becomes a duty of obligation rather than an act of love for our Savior. That's a real temptation, isn't it? That as life goes on, as the trials come, as the temptations come our way, the temptation of then just doing things out of routine or out of obligation becomes very real. That's what we're going to deal with this morning. Is that this isn't just okay that that happens. That we just then start doing and living the Christian life out of obligation and out of duty. Because what we're going to see is that the Lord has a great problem with that. The Lord desires for you to love Him. That is first and foremost what we see in Deuteronomy 6, 4-7. through When it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. That's the call to the Christian. is to love the Lord your God. And everything that comes from that in your act of service, your, oblig- your, your, your service to Him, your obeying Him, your pursuing of holiness, it's because first and foremost, you love the Lord. And I think sometimes, hear me say this, sometimes I think we love heaven more than we love the Lord. Because we're more afraid of judgment. Yeah, judgment's real. But we're called to love the Lord. Church, do you love the Lord? Truly, do you love the Lord? Matthew 22, 37 says this. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That is more than just a memory verse that we just kind of throw out there and we watch our children repeat and we ourselves repeat. As we get into the text this morning, I just want to make this statement that I think highlights the very thing that we're going to be looking at this morning. The Lord knows what the church is doing, and He knows why the church is doing it. Just let that sink in. That may be obvious. You're like, David, is that like, really? It was mind-blowing to me for a minute when I was thinking about this. I was very convicted going through this this week. Let me say it one more time. The Lord knows what the church is doing. He sees what the church is. He knows what the church is doing. But he also knows why the church is doing it. 
And the problem that he has with this church in Ephesus and the problem that he has with churches is maybe not necessarily of what they're doing, but it's why they're doing it. Right? The heart matters. The reason matters. Do we do it because we love the Lord or we do it just because, well, that's just what we do. Because we're Christians, so that's just what we have to do. So just work your way through it. No. (laughs) Don't work your way through it. What he calls them to do is to repent. If you're not doing this because you love the Lord, repent. Turn. Because why? He's, He's threatening this church. He has such a great deal about this. He's threatening this church to remove their lampstand. It's the only time I read this with one of the out of the seven churches here, to remove their lampstand, to remove his presence from them. So I say that to say this is a big deal. And this, and this love for the Lord, it's not just something that you can just be like, ah, i got to work harder at it. Love, 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 love. Got to love, got to love. No. It's only going to be through prayer and through the work of the Spirit that indwells you as a believer in Christ that this love is going to be shown. That this love is real. Starts out in verse 1. It says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus... So here we see, uh, back in Revelation 1.11, it says, he's writing to John, and he says, write, uh, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. So that's what you're seeing here, is these letters are going to go out to these seven churches. The Lord is telling John here to write this, what you see, and to write this to them. So John is writing what the Lord is giving him to write for these seven churches. So it says this, though, to the angel of the church in Ephesus. So He is writing to the church, but he's ultimately here. What the Lord wants him to do is to write to the angel of the church. We can translate this in a way of saying, literally, is he writing to an angel? Is there an angel over each one of these churches as a messenger? Or is he writing here to the pastor, to the one who's leading? Either way, what he's saying is, write to this church. Write to the one who is the messenger of this church. The messenger, the one whom is over that church. The one who is going to be giving this message to the people of Ephesus. He wants them to have this letter. He's writing to them specifically. To this literal church. Just a little background on Ephesus. It's the home of the temple of Artemis where there, was, where there would be pagan worship. As you read about many of these places, pagan worship. This is where many would have fled from the law. This temple would have been front and center of the harbor when you would enter into Ephesus. There would have been temple prostitution and mutilation was among this group. This gives you a little bit of a highlight. It's, there was sin. <laughs> there was false worship. Them worshiping false gods. There was sin in the midst of this this place in Ephesus. Christianity was going to be a threat, was a threat to many here. So he's saying, I want you to give this to the messenger, to the one who's going to be giving this message to the church of Ephesus. And here's what he says. The words of him. So now we're seeing who this is from. Write this, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So this is coming from the one, I've already alluded to who this letter is going to be from, but coming from the one whom is going to hold, the one who holds everything together, has a firm, tight grip of, the one who's holding, holding what? The seven stars in his right hand and who is also walking among the seven golden lampstands. 
Well, what are the seven stars? Whom is the one who's walking and holding this together? We see this back in Revelation chapter 1, 12 through 16. Who that person is, who that is, and that's the Lord. Christ, the head of the church. So what are the seven stars? In, one, in, in chapter 1, verse 20, we see that the angels, or the, the angels of the seven churches, that, that's who the seven stars are, so the messengers of those seven churches. Well, what are the seven golden lampstands? Back in chapter 1, verse 20, we see that that's the seven churches. This reveals, so let's just not bypass this and go, okay, some language going on. Like what? Like there's a lot going on here, a lot of imagery. But I'm just trying to imagine, picture this moment. What is happening? The one whom is writing to them. Do you know what this shows? The authority by which this is coming from. The authority of the Lord. That it is his who is giving. This thing, John's just some kind of thought for the day where he's just sitting there journaling saying, well, I better write this. No, this is coming from the Lord. Do we recognize that this, the word of God, is, it truly comes from the Lord? It's his living word. It's active. So, what, so when we see this, we see this is authority. I think we also see in this image that the Lord is overseeing all the churches. He's the one who holds the messengers in his hand. He is sovereign over the church. It's his church. It's not man's church. It's God's church. We gather here because of the Lord. Not just because we made a bunch of phone calls and said, hey, come to Alpine Bible Church and sit in a really comfy chair. No, we're here because the Lord has allowed for us to be here. To sit underneath what? The authority of His Word, right? Do not forget that. We can't forget that. The moment we forget that, the moment I think the Lord removes His lampstand from amongst His church. Verse 2. I better go quicker. But hear what he says. I know your works. So he obviously is showing his authority now. But here's what he's telling them. I know your works. Your toil and your patient endurance. This is wonderful. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance. And how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. Church, the Lord knows what the church is doing. <laughs> That's obvious in the text, right? I know your works. I know the very things that you're doing. Well, what are they doing? They're laboring. They're being patient and enduring through the midst of persecution and temptation and trials, right? And they're also denying false teachers, removing people from amongst them that would have been at, uh, seeking the sense of apostleship that, that they weren't apostles, so removing the false teachers from among them, testing them to see if they truly are. So they're working. <laughs> they're laboring. Especially, and the reason I met mentioned Ephesus and what was going on there, it's not just some kind of like quick highlight, hey, here's what Ephesus looks like, but ultimately to see, like, do you see the culture, the community with which they were, which with the, the, this church was in? 
Pagan worship, false worshipers, false messages, all of that would have been tempting the church. All of that, all of that would have been trying to infiltrate the church. And he says this, I know your works. I know your toil. This, this again brings up that they're working hard. That they're not just lackadaisical. Like they're working hard. And that this labor is bringing about a sense. The wording here is showing that this labor is bringing about a sense of weariness. That's the kind of hard work that they're doing. As they did it, though, they did it with patience, but not in the sense of ones who waited around. Rather, patience referring to a steadfastness, a steadiness, a continuing to plow through. They're, like, this is the one, like, they have their hands to the plow and they're going. That's, the, that's what he's ultimately referring to here, showing their hard work. But I just want to say this we can't mix up, though, their laboring for what we might consider labor in today's church. Again, the culture that, they're in, that they are in with this paganism and this false worship. I don't think Christianity, what the laboring that they were doing was necessarily in the sense of cleaning and planning games, making sure that the sound was right or finding the next curriculum. Now, hear me, I'm not saying that's bad. That is obviously things that we do and that we labor to do, but I don't think that's what he's referring to. What I think he's referring to here, this laboring, again, as we've already looked at, is that they're laboring in the gospel, defending the gospel, preaching the gospel, teaching the gospel, and living out this truth. That's what they're doing. Again, it's not belittling any of the things that I just shared, but this is why they're doing, like, this is what they're ultimately doing. They're standing for the gospel. They're living out this truth. They're not lackadaisical. We go on, and it says this. So he says, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. But you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be false. So as they are laboring, they are also removing the weeds amongst the people trying to come in, people who are trying to recognize themselves as apostles, but they're finding them not to be. So ultimately, what they, they desired purity in the sense of where, they, of where they were discerning and removing these false messengers among them. Ones that were contrary to the truth. So this church, working hard, desired purity for this church. This sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Like, this is what the church should be doing. We know that to be true. Same for us today in our church. We know that in Romans 16, 17 through 18, Paul talks about, again, not allowing for these false messages or these false prophets to be in the midst of your church. When he says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own uh, appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. We also know in Matthew 7.15, it talks about being aware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. 2 John chapter 1, 10-11. If anyone comes amongst you or... To you and does not bring his teach and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. We see this. This is the challenge to the church. Do not allow for false prophets or false messengers, ones who are not going to stick to the word at all, be in the pulpit. 
in a way. That's the duty of the church. To taint the pulpit with a bunch of babble. It's nonsense. The Lord has set this place to be preaching and proclaiming His word, right? What's so, and the thing is, the so foundational, what is so needed is the gospel, and nothing that strays from the gospel is something that we should be following, right? I love what he says here in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8 through 9. It always catches me because it's just, man, like even if they come back, let me read it, and then I'll say those things. But even if we or an angel, it's like, hear this, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel that is contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. If myself or if an angel comes from and they preach anything different than what I just gave you, meaning what I have given you is so true that even if I come back, because why? Because sin is crouching at the door and I'm just a man. But if, any, if I come back or an angel comes down to you and tells you anything different, accurse him. The church has this desire here in Ephesus, right? Like, they, like this is what he, they're saying when they're testing out these people who are claiming to be apostles and then they are removing them whenever they realize that they're not, that they're false. He also goes on in verse 3. I know that you are enduring patiently. So I know that you're being patient. I know that you're enduring. I know that you're working hard, that you're toiling hard here. I know that there's weariness here. I know that you're removing those who are false messengers and false prophets from amongst you. I know these things, and I know that you are enduring it patiently, and you're bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Amen. This is awesome. (laughs) It's a great church. I know that you're enduring patiently here and bearing up for my name's sake. Again, their endurance, that's not swaying from the hardships. They're enduring because of what reason? Christ's name. They're bear- he, they are bearing up his name. That's amazing. Church, is that us? Do we bear up the name of Christ? Truly. Christian, do you bear up the name of Christ? Do not mistake in that, though, for agendas. I mean, truly, do you bear up the name of Christ? That the gospel is first and foremost in the center of your life, and everything that you do is because of the gospel. If not, then we have to take a check of our own lives, right? And it says here, and you have not grown weary. So he's telling the church. Man, you have not stopped, you have not quit, you have not or grown weak in bearing up the name of Christ. Let's stop here for a second. Let's put this down and say, okay, as we look through this, like, man, the perfect church. Look what they're doing. They're bearing up the name of Christ. They're preaching Christ. They're not, even, they're not letting false prophets in the midst of them. They are doing the very things that Christians are called to do. And this church is wonderful, and he recognizes that. But as you guys know the passage, what does he go on in verse 4 then to say? But, whew, this reminded me. I don't know why, but this reminded me at Malone, like all of a sudden there's this hard transition, but, so all these good things, but, and I remember one day I was on the bus, we just got back from a a, a game, and we're coming back, and we did well, but, you know, we lost, Um, it's okay, we still did well, and so I remember sitting on the bus after this long trip, and it is like 9, 10 o'clock at night, 
and the coach is giving his spiel. He's like, man, you guys have done these things. You, have, you did well. You did this well. You did that well. And then he said, but. And I'm like, gah. But you did this and this. And so you know what that means? We had to go out and do about 100, 100-yard sprints because of the things that we did wrong. I'm being, like, it's really not 100, 100-yard sprints. It's what it feels like when you're not a good runner. <laughs> you know what I mean? But... <laughs> This doesn't even relate to that. It's just this idea of but. So here's these things before you. Church, great job. Wonderful job. Stand for him. Preach the gospel. Church, that we have a wonderful children's ministry and youth ministry, and we preach the gospel from the front. That is so great. And we're going out and we are evangelizing. We're bearing his name. But the question is this, but why are you doing it? But why are you doing it? Is it because it's just something that's been taught to you from the time that you were a toddler? And it's just when you were raised this way, you're like, well, this is just what I got to do. I now have to do this. Are we doing it out of obligation? He says, but here's the problem. But he says, I have this against you. Those are not light words. I have this against you. You Just picture the Lord telling you that. I have this against you. You've done this, but I have this against you. This judgment, this this moment is coming from the one who judges, the one who's holy, the one who's perfect. But I have this against you. Man, those are strong words. Well, what is it then that he has against them? They're guilty of something. This is not a place that we want to be, right? We don't want to be standing there, but I have this against you. I mean, even think about this moment when you stand before the Lord. Great job. You've done so well. Like, you've done all of these things. Scary thing is, but he could still look at you and go, but. Have you received me as your Lord and Savior, truly? You have great attendance record. You have great work. You have great toiling. You're doing so good. I mean, look at you. You're wonderful. But have you done this because you love me? That you have, and he goes on, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. They have left. Now listen to this. Not lost. Not accidentally just like, whoop. (laughs) Where'd it go? They didn't lose it. No, no. Look at the word that is used here. You have abandoned it. Man. Like, so, in a way, this isn't almost on accident, as if, like, I can't find it. No, no. You've abandoned it. You left it. Well, what have they left? It says, you've left the love that you had at first. You left it. You got so busy working and toiling and doing all of these things and doing such a great job that you left The first love that you had. (laughs) Which then is ultimately saying, you're doing it for you. You're doing this out of obligation. You're following the law for just following the law. We see this. God has Jeremiah share the same thing in Jeremiah 2.2. When he's telling Israel, he says, Go proclaim to the hearing of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown. Again, this idea, I remember when you did this because you loved me and you trusted me. 
And then he goes on to go, obviously, then you know what takes place. It reveals that the work and toil that they have done was with the wrong intentions. Again, church, the Lord knows what the church is doing. But he also knows why the church is doing it. He knows why the church is doing it. He knows why you are doing it. He knows why you're sitting in this chair. He knows why you continue to keep giving. He knows why you are going out and telling other people about Christ. He knows why you continue to keep serving in the back faithfully. He knows why. He knows why. He knows why. He knows why. But do you know why? Truly. This is a danger that we can all fall in. That we just do. And we don't know why we're doing it. We're just doing it. Because, well, that's just what i got to do. I say this because this is very convicting to me. Why do you do what you do? Why do you prepare messages, sermons? Why do you go and serve in the youth ministry? Why do you, why do you? And the question is, why do I do that? I must confess, you can get so lost in doing and doing that I'm reminded through this wonderful letter that I have to repent because I was just doing. I say that not for you guys to look at me and judge me, but man, be careful. We can just do to do, and that is not, that is not what the Lord is calling us to do. As he sees their actions, he knows even more. He knows the intentions of their heart. So to abandon the first love, I want to add, like, you have to have a first love. Just want to make that very clear. To, To abandon the first love, you have to have a first love. Ultimately, he's referring to the gospel, the love for Christ and what he has done. Do you have a first love? Meaning, have you received him as your Lord and Savior truly? Have you recognized your sin? Not just, ah, I'm a sinner. No, have you truly understood that you have been separated from a holy God? The God who has brought all things into existence. That you have been separated from him. But he has sent his son. And there's nothing you can do to earn this right standing before him. But he has sent his son, Jesus Christ. He sent him to bear, to, to bear our sins. To hang on a cross. To die. To be buried. But then to rise again so that you can have life. Do you have that first love? The one that you receive through repentance and belief? Do you have that? Because you can't abandon something you don't have. But he goes on here. They have abandoned the love that you had at first. Our first love is the one who has created all things, created you and and also knows you. I really wanted to turn to Psalm 139. I am, please read Psalm 139. And what it shows you is that God knows you. You cannot hide from God. That he has intricately woven you and created you. That's the love that we are, are to first have. And knowing that, receiving that, our first love wants us to glorify him above everything and everyone else. I want you guys to turn to Romans 5, 6 through 11. I want us to see and think about the love that Christ has for us. And to understand Christ's love, you have to understand your sin. 
and your need for him. It says this in Romans 5, 6 through 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified in his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we all rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That is a love, a love that is willing to sacrifice for you but a love that many of you have abandoned. A love that many of you do not want to receive. A love that many of you mock. But He loved us while we were sinners. He died for us while we are weak to give us life, to be in glory with Him, to love Him, to glorify Him. This is love. Without love, it's worthless. I mean, you think about it. We can fulfill duties all all day long. I can be a a wonderful husband by just doing things. Doing the dishes, which is just me throwing them in the dishwasher. But me doing the dishes, me doing this or doing that, providing for the home, whatever it is. That's wonderful. But it means nothing if I don't love my wife. I can be a parent, I can, I can hold the baby, I can, I can then play with the kids, I can do all of this. But if I don't love my kids, it's worthless. The same thing, Christian. You can do all of these things. But do you love him? Have you ever stopped to put your finger on the pulse for a second and go, do I love him? Truly, do I love him? Because he's loved me. Because he loved us first, we are to love him. How can we, the question I ask, how can we abandon? How can, like, I don't understand they're doing all of these things. Then how can you just abandon? How, how does that happen? By not nourishing it through spending time with him in prayer and the word. By not gathering together with his people. By not putting sin to death in our lives. And by not meditating on his word. And, not, and, by, not living in unre, and, and by living in unrepentant sin. We fall in the danger of abandoning our first love by those things. By just saying, I'm saved, I now do what I want. You're abandoning him. That's how you fall into lukewarmness is you don't actually tend to your soul through the word, through prayer. The Lord cares about the inner man. We know this through 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. He goes on here, verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, 
Repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So we see here, how are we to then come out of this? We are to remember, to remember where we have first, to remember when we have first received Christ, the love that you had for him. Remember that. Remember what Christ has done for you. We see the Lord calling the Israelites constantly to remember, right? Remember, I have brought you out of slavery. You know that when the Lord tells they can constantly through the Old Testament, he's telling them to remember, remember what I've done for you. Whenever they continue on sin, it's always a call back to remember what I've done for you. Do you know what he's saying? Remember that I'm the one who has brought you out of bondage and now I am giving you paradise. I am giving you this promised land. Remember that. But then also, as we remember, that's good. It's one thing to remember, but now repent. So we see the big deal about this, that this isn't just something that we can just say, well, man, I, don't, like, I really don't have a love for him. And then we tell ourselves, well, this means like, I just got to do this then. Like, you just got to continue to keep working. And people tell you just to like, keep pushing through. No, no. <laughs> stop. Repent. Because you're in sin. And this is such a big deal that the Lord is... Threatening this church to remove their lampstand. So don't just plow through the fact that you don't love the Lord. You need to stop and you need to deal with this. Deal with the fact that why don't I love him? And this is going to take repentance. This is going to take prayer. This is going to take meditation on his word. And praying for him to rekindle this love for him. And don't do anything until you do have that love. He says to remember and to repent and then to do what you did, to do the works that you did at first, meaning to do this out of love for me. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. That's a big deal. What he's telling them is I will now, I will bring judgment on your church. If you don't do this, if you don't repent, if you don't remember and repent, and then do this, that as I have called you to, to do it for, because you love me, I'm going to remove the lampstand from amongst you. Now, I want to tell you, though, this, I don't think that this is the only reason that the Lord would just remove the lampstand. I think sin, church, sin, sin that's in the church, sin that just runs rampant and not dealt with, unrepentant sin, that the Lord can remove the lampstand. And then you just become a social club and a hangout. And I want no part of that. Remember, what makes us a church is not the all-star lineup that you have with the people, the attendees, the members, the pastors. No, no, no. What makes you a church is the Lord. His gospel. His foundation. And we are called to love Him. And all of this is going to happen. But if you repent, I will go before you. I will lead you. I will show myself to you. I will bless you. Not bless you with a bunch of just material things, but I will bless you because you will then rejoice and you will have this passion and this zeal for me. And what a blessing that is. And he says, yet this you have. And then he goes on and says another thing. I, and he says, I, I also hate the works of... Now look, I don't know these, this group. I, I don't. I, I tried to look for so long on who are these people? 
Well, he hated their works. Let's just put it that way. So I'm assuming these things were outside of God. It's a good assumption, I think, not reading anything into this. Probably false worshipers. We obviously see that that could be a possibility in the midst of this. But he says, but you also hate this. So you hate this. I hate this. Great. But do you hate this because you love me? Or do you hate this just because it's your opinion? Right? I just asked this question. What is the difference? This ain't leading into a joke, okay? But what is the difference? I want to make sure I say the right thing here. What is the difference between a believing pro-lifer and a non-believing pro-lifer? That they, 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 they love life. Like they, they, they believe in the sanctity of life. They are going to stand for this. That they do not believe in abortion. What's the difference between the believer and the non-believer of, of pro-lifers? One is because they love the Lord. The other is just because they have an opinion about life. There's a difference. We can stand for many things. Stand for many agendas and do many things. But again, it's all worthless unless we love him. We go on here and he closes with this. He who has an ear, let him hear. So hear this. (laughs) What the Spirit says to the churches... To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in in the paradise of God. But I want to make a note here. To the one who conquers is not you conquering, because you can't conquer anything. We become overcomers and conquerors through the blood of Christ, through our repenting and believing in Him. So he's saying, hear this. And to those who are repentant and love me, here's what he says. I will grant to grant you to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Amen. So church, I ask you, why do you do what you do? And understand, the Lord knows what the church is doing and He knows what you are doing, but He also knows why you're doing it. And the call is to repent if it's not because you love Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this morning. Lord, we thank You for Your Word for this time to gather under your word. I know we have many things on our minds right now of trying to get to the the place where we have to eat and do all of this. But Lord, that's the danger, isn't it? The danger is that we don't deal with our sin because we we flood it with a whole bunch of other things. Lord, I pray that if there is anything that needs to be dealt with today, that it is dealt with, that they come to you, that we come to you in repentance. Reveal sin. Reveal to us if we do not love you. Lord, thank you for your love for us. Love that we do not deserve, but thank you, Lord, for your Son who came, who died, but yet rose again. And that we can be conquerors through him, through our repentance and belief in you. And Father, if there is someone here who does not know you, who does not have this first love, Lord, I pray that you save them that you bring them to repentance, that they believe in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.